The torch has been passed to a new generation of Americans. He battled the talking heads and cynics in Washington to save GM and Chrysler. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. He battled the Great Recession to save Michigan's capital city from bankruptcy. To this big, bold country that we love, that's what I see. That's the America I know. Now he's on a mission to save the America that brought his father from Italy and millions of immigrants to build the greatest nation in the world. And I do believe that the office of citizen is the highest office in this country. Here he is, America, Verge Bernero. God, I love that old that old clip of Barack Obama. That's the America I know. That's the America I love. God, wouldn't it be phenomenal to have that kind of enthusiasm in the White House again? I am Verge Bernero. Welcome to the program. With me is Kevin Collard. Uh, resident uh, cynic. And, I can't believe and, we got you away from the TV. This <laughs> impeachment thing has got you full tilt. Well, I mean, for political junkies, it's it's hard to turn off. It, it is historic. I saw um, uh, Senator McConnell, old turtle face, I saw him uh, wrestling with the, the term historic. They were talking, they were saying goodbye to the pages, the Senate pages. It was the last day of the year. And so they actually, the Democrats and Republicans stood up. A lot of people missed this. Uh, but the Democrats and Republicans in unison stood up and gave a standing ovation to the Senate pages, uh, uh, which uh, my, my daughter was one actually years ago. And they work hard. And uh, so they recognize him. But I saw McConnell, McConnell, if you go back to the tape, you'll see he almost said the word historic. He said, for you to be here during this uh, unusual occasion. Oh he didn't want to grace it with the word Mr. historic. He says that the House is not ready to present its case. Of course, that's not something you heard from any of the managers. We are ready. The House calls John Bolton. The House calls John Bolton. The House calls Mick Mulvaney. Let's get this trial started, shall we? We are ready to present our case. We are ready to call our witnesses. The question is, will you let us? That is the question before us. Now, Mr. Uh, Philbin says, well, if I showed up in court and said I wasn't ready, the judge would throw me out of the court. Of course, we're not saying we're not ready. But you know what would happen if Mr. Philbin went into a court and the judge said, I've made a deal with the defendant. I'm not going to let the prosecutor call any witnesses. I'm not going to let the prosecutor present any documents. You know who'd get thrown out of the court? The judge. The judge would be taken out in handcuffs. So we're going to roll right into it. Um, I thought Adam Schiff did a phenomenal job uh, really explaining, really getting to the meat uh, and potatoes of the, uh, of the issue. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, uh, is it an overstatement to say the, 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 you know, the biggest thing is that's happening, why we're glued to the TV, Kevin, is, is because it is our, our democracy hangs in the balance. Uh, the issue of uh, checks and balances hangs in the balance. A lot of these guys, uh, the, the speakers, the Democratic case managers, made the case that, uh, and you've heard this theme for some time, that if the president's behavior isn't impeachable, if this behavior isn't impeachable, what is impeachable? If the president can determine what documents he sends and what he doesn't, what witnesses he'll allow to testify and what he doesn't, these are, these are kingly powers. And I find it interesting, you know, obviously I'm a Democrat, and so, you know, I have my biases, but I, I say in all sincerity, I'm an American first. And, you know, I have called out uh, Democrats that have done wrong. I've, I've disagreed with Democratic presidents. I've praised Republican presidents. Uh, not much praise for this one. But 
uh, I don't. There, in history, there's never been a president that just thumbs his nose to Congress, be they Democrat or Republican, and says, I, "I'm not going to give you any doc. I'm not going to participate. Not one document uh, sent over. You know, not one subpoena answered." Um, and so that becomes obstruction. And what what the Democrats are trying to do in the Senate, um, as in any trial, is to bring the information to light. And so far, the Republicans have voted in lockstep to say, no, you should have done this in the House. We're not going to we're not going to allow anything new to enter in. But in other trials, uh, they have. There have been witnesses. There has been information. The I, I find it interesting that the Democrats are being accused of bringing an incomplete case. But the president blocked them at every turn and said, no, 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 I'm not going to give you this. I'm not going to give you that. I'm not going to answer the subpoena. Not just the president. I mean, we're talking about a partisan situation here in which there has been just a Democratic vote. And if the Democrats were in charge of the Senate, we know how this would go. Just like we know it may not go that way because it's a Republican Senate. It is largely politically split. I mean, when you're only talking about one or two sort of uh, individuals who will cross the aisle and work with the other side, with this impeachment, you're not going to come to a conclusion that either side really well, wants. Well, we talked about this. Uh, I understand that that, uh, Dem- that I understand that, that mostly Democrats, mostly all just Democrats voted for the impeachment. But the fact of the matter is you are elected to these positions and Democrat and Republican and independent, and there are a few independents, take an oath to the Constitution. Mm -hmm. And so, frankly, you know, that only goes so far. I don't give a damn what you are, what you claim to be, what letter is in front of after your name. You took an oath to the Constitution and these issues. And if I was a Democrat or a Republican. The president cannot, in the interest of checks and balance and the rule of law, no president can simply be the decider about whether they're going to send information to the co-equal branch of government. You, remember, How can Bruce. you exercise checks and balances? That is a kingly power. Now I'm setting myself truly above if I say the, the Constitution says you can investigate me, but I get to decide what you can investigate. Then there is no there is no impeachment. There is no checks and balances. But remember, your former running mate, uh, who is now a senator, congresswoman, congresswoman said, "I'll censure him," and then there's no out getting out of that. I mean, that would have been an actual slap on the wrist Brenda that would Lawrence. have stayed. Brenda Lawrence. Uh, and so, so I think that democracy and the rule of law is on trial, along with Donald Trump right now in the proceedings in the United States Senate. Democracy and the rule of law. We'll talk to a leading scholar on this issue today, Professor Robert Sedler, distinguished professor at Wayne State University Law School. He will join us in just a bit to get to the bottom of it, the legal aspects of what's at stake. Later, we'll discuss the biggest development in the race for president, the rise of Michael Bloomberg as a serious and very viable candidate in the Democratic primary, particularly here in Michigan. We'll be joined by Charlie Norton, Bloomberg's Michigan campaign director. Uh, But uh, first, uh, we heard the one clip. Uh, I want to, well, let's hear the second clip, and then I'm going to give you virtual reality. I'm going to give you the top 10 reasons why Trump should be impeached. Over the coming days, we will present to you and to the American people the extensive evidence collected during the House's impeachment inquiry into the president's abuse of power. Overwhelming evidence. Notwithstanding his unprecedented and wholesale obstruction 
of the investigation into that misconduct. You will hear and read testimony from courageous public servants who upheld their oath to the Constitution and their legal obligations to comply with congressional action despite a categorical order by President Trump not to cooperate with the impeachment inquiry. These are courageous Americans who were told by the President of the United States not to cooperate, not to appear, not to testify, but who had the sense of duty to do so. But more than that, you will hear from witnesses who have not yet testified, like John Bolton and Mick Mulvaney, Mr. Blair and Mr. Duffy. And if you can believe the President's words last month, you will also hear from Secretary Pompeo. You will hear their testimony at the same time as the American people. That is, if you allow it, if we have a fair trial. The President says, it was a perfect phone call. How many times have you heard that? It was a perfect call, perfect call. I mean, everything, the superlatives with this guy, of course, are ridiculous. Everything's got to be the greatest. Even a phone call that's criminal is perfect. Give me a freaking break. But uh, if it was perfect, then what are, you, what are you hiding? You know, the truth is going to come out. Let's hear from these witnesses. Let's call on these folks and see what they have to say. Uh, if it was such a perfect call. And then the, the Republicans trying to defend the president in this chamber say, uh, impeachment over a phone call. I can't believe it. <laughs> impeachment over a phone call. How dumb. How, how ridiculous a phone call. If I call you, Kevin, and say, hey, uh, I want to talk to you about murdering the guy in the studio. No offense, Angel. Uh, hey, let's talk about how we're going to off Angel. You know, I, should we use a knife or, you know what? Uh, that would just be a phone call. I mean, what if they went after us on attempted murder or planning murder and all it was was a phone call? I mean, that's the idiocy of these people's arguments. It's it's freaking infantile. Impeachment over a phone call. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If Depending on what you said on the phone call, it could be criminal. Could be impeachable. So so if you think, if you're listening to this and you think, man, it can't be as, as simple. I mean, this sounds really dumb. This, this sounds really clear. It can't be that dumb. I mean, if I can understand. No, it's that ignorant. These people are that ignorant. <laughs> Impeachment over a phone call. Yes. When you're talking about extorting a, a world leader who where $400 million in money in aid, military aid, was voted on, duly voted on by the Congress to send emergency immediately to help fend off Russia, who is invading the country. Yeah. And you're holding it up until you can get an investigation of your political opponent, Joe Biden. Yeah, that's, that's impeachable. That's pretty serious. So let's get to the bottom of it. Top 10 Trump abuses surrounding the Ukraine. Top 10 Trump abuses surrounding Ukraine's extortion. Number 10, aiding and abetting Putin's invasion of a neighboring Democratic government. Aiding and abetting Putin's invasion of a neighboring Democratic I'm sorry these aren't that funny. Number nine, demoralizing and threatening a new young government with a president who ran on fighting corruption. Zelensky looks up to America. America told Ukraine, get rid of your nukes when they went when they went democratic, when they overthrew the Soviet Union. Get rid of your nukes. America will protect you. We'll protect you from big bad bear, the big bad Soviet bear. We won't let them come down on you. Now when they need our protection, Trump says, just one more thing. Uh, I need you to do me a favor. Yeah, yeah, Kev, I'll give you that money that Congress voted for you, Mr. President. But I, I just need you to do me a favor. 
investigate my political opponent, make hell for my political opponent, besmirch the name of my, smear the name of my political opponent, Joe Biden, because he's my number one opponent that I'm afraid of. Help me out. You, you help me, I'll help you. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. With the treasury of the U.S. tax dollars, I'll use U.S. tax dollars for my political gain. What could be wrong? What could be wrong with that? Uh, number seven, or eight, am I an eight? Trashing the reputation and ending the career uh, of an outstanding public official and patriot, Ambassador Yovanovitch. Uh, number seven, constantly referring to his conversation with the Ukrainian President Zelensky as a perfect phone call. Total bastardization of the word perfect. Come on. Uh, number six, Trump's flagrant and kingly dismissal of Congress's right to documents and information and Republican senators' abdication of their constitutional oversight role. If Republicans back up Trump and refuse to subpoena any witnesses or documents, they will create an imperial presidency. Now, we already kind of have an imperial presidency, but come on. There's not going to be any oversight. Not only will you not have impeachment as a possibility anymore, even though it's in the Constitution, uh, you won't have any effective oversight because the president can decide what and when and, uh, and if he's going to send documents to a co-equal branch of government, Congress. Uh, number five, ass asserting that there's no quid pro quo while reiterating the quid pro quo. The requirement that Ukraine's president trash and investigate Biden in order to get congressionally approved military aid and an Oval Office meeting with Trump. All the testimony supports the obvious demand of quid pro quo, first uncovered in presidential Ukraine uh, in, in a phone call where Trump demands a favor in exchange for aid. The quid pro quo is there. The fact that Trump said, now, it's not a quid pro quo, but you just got to have this press conference with CNN, uh, go on CNN and announce that you're investigating Biden. That's a quid pro quo. It's a requirement. It's, a, uh, it's uh, extortion. Number three, constantly referring to impeachment uh, as, maybe it's four, as unconstitutional and a hoax. It's right in the Constitution. Impeachment, it's in the Constitution. How can it be unconstitutional if we're exercising a constitutional right? Uh, yeah, number two, turning Rudy Giuliani loose on the State Department and the world. Rudy Giuliani, his personal attorney, going out and overruling State Department officials, acting as a personal emissary and overruling and then uh, uh, getting rid of trashing Yovanovitch, Ambassador Yovanovitch, and pushing her out. Uh, the number one biggest abuse of Trump with this whole Ukraine scandal, putting Ukraine on the map for all the wrong reasons. Ukraine should be a great story, Kevin, of a, of a former Soviet uh, uh, appendage breaking loose and striving for democracy and not not a place where we're going to have to go and shed American blood and 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 and, and burn you know uh, cost us le life and limb for people who you wonder if they have any real love of democracy no Ukrainians want democracy they want to break free of Russia they want their own democracy and we and and we told them we we promised them that we would help them uh, and he's Trump has, has again, really uh, torn that all down, really bastardized that whole thing, and, and uh, in a sense, uh, trashed the name Ukraine, uh, put them on the map for the wrong reasons. they got a great president who's trying to do the right thing, who's trying to fight corruption, and he's really hurt that. And I'll give you a bonus one. Uh, the bonus uh, uh, abuse of Trump is further perversion of justice by conspiring with Moscow Mitch, Mitch McConnell, also known as Midnight Mitch, trying to move all the hearings to late in the night, uh, conspiring with Senator Mitch McConnell to block witnesses at the Senate trial. This would be the first 
presidential impeachment trial without witnesses. Uh, trials have witnesses. There's a reason, and usually because you're trying to get to the truth. But speaking of the truth and the legal aspects of the uh, – do we have Professor Sedler on the on No, the line? we're going to take a break first. Oh, so we're going to take a break, and uh, along that vein – uh, let me just ask, is it possible to have access to the highest quality health care whenever your family needs it? Well, you can count on it. Count on Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan to give you access to the care you need with the largest network of top doctors and hospitals. Because when you find the doctor that's right for you, you should be able to choose her. Access and choice. It's health care coverage that works the way you want it to. Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. Confidence comes with every card. Is it possible that every person in Michigan, in every zip code, can have access to the most preferred health insurance? Can a company that is always bringing leading edge ideas also bring the good old fashioned roll up your sleeves work we need to lift up our communities? Are we able to take 80 years of knowledge and experience and apply it every day to help everyone in Michigan? Count on it. Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan. Confidence comes with every card. The Verge Show. We're back on The Verge Show. Uh, it's an exciting program. Uh, we're in the middle of impeachment, and there are a lot of, of course, legal questions, a lot of tough, tough questions uh, to be settled in the Senate um, and to be discussed with the American people. And on the line with us uh, on the show, we have Professor Robert Sedler, uh, an American distinguished law professor at Wayne State University Law School, specializing in constitutional law. Professor Sedler began teaching at Wayne State in 1977 and has authored one textbook, Constitutional Law in the United States. We'd like to talk about, about some of that constitutional law. Yep, he's there. Okay, terrific. Professor Sedler, are you there? Professor Sedler, are you there? Hi, it's nice to talk to you. Oh, great to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us, Professor. Uh, I wanted to begin with the issue of high crimes and misdemeanors. Okay. Uh, this is an issue that I continue to see discussed on TV, but I also am, uh, see it being discussed in coffee shops, in restaurants. Um, I see the banter going around, people uh, asserting what this means. I had a big argument last night on Facebook with a gentleman that said there's no crime, there's no high crime. Right. Uh, well, let me uh, give a double answer. The framers decided to make impeachment a political offense in the con uh, political process in the constitutional sense that it was up to the House and the Senate. They looked to English parliamentary practice. The term high crime and misdemeanors had a settled meaning in English parliamentary practice. It had nothing to do with the violation of the criminal law. Proceedings would be brought against an officer of the Crown, alleging that the officer seriously abused his official position or seriously breached a duty that was imposed on him. So it meant a serious abuse of power or a serious breach of duty having nothing to do with the criminal law. Right. Nixon raised that same issue during the time of his uh, the impeachment issue. But again, because the, the courts are not involved, I've been doing a lot of talks about impeachment to community groups, 
And that's the hardest thing for people to understand that the courts are not involved at all. Well, and in fact, in fact, Professor, when when that uh, when the Constitution was written and that impeachment clause put in there, uh, high crimes and misdemeanors, there, there weren't even any federally uh, codified uh, federal crimes, crimes. To, to begin with. Uh, and they debated this. They started out with treason and bribery. And then I forget, somebody came up with the idea, well, we need more of a phrase that encompasses a, bre- a serious abuse of power. Yes. See, that was the great fear. As you know, they gave the president this enormous power. All the executive power is vested in a president of the United States of America. They trusted George Washington, but they worried what would come later if the Electoral College made a bad choice. Yeah. In any event, as a practical matter, it means the term means whatever a majority of the House or two-thirds of the Senate says that it means. Now, the president's defenders in the Senate have resurrected the idea, I think purely for political reasons, uh, uh, no crime, uh, no guilt. Yeah, it's but like the old... It's, it, that's not the meaning that it had historically. Well, thank you for settling that. Uh, it's it's like the old uh, glove don't fit, you got to acquit. If there's no crime, then you got to... No, no, the crime is to be defined by, uh, you know, that the members there. The Constitution there. uses the term high crimes and misdemeanors, which had a settled meaning in English parliamentary law, and that is how it was understood by the framers. You also, you also have to remember that the framers never contemplated political parties. They thought that, they called them factions, they thought we would never have them in the United States. They assumed that all uh, federal officials would be men like themselves, generally born to wealth and privilege, uh, with a high sense of civic responsibility. I wanna, to say the least, they were wrong. I want to. I want to ask you something about that. About that uh, party. Do Do you believe that now? Now they. I understand that the senators took a separate oath. That in addition I'm to sorry. the oath, that they, I'm not hearing you. What is it? I understand that the senators. You have to speak a little more loudly. Yeah. Okay. Can you hear me now? A little bit more. I understand that the senators took a separate oath. Uh, for just for this ceremony, just for this uh, uh, hearing, that the, in addition to their regular oath of office, they took an oath of impartiality uh, for this yes, impeachment the trial. The Constitution says the senators shall be on oath. Now, what I think the Republicans are going to say, well, I'm impartial. Uh, I've looked at the charges. Uh, I've listened to uh, what the, I've looked at the charges, and they don't charge a high crime and misdemeanor, period but I'm completely impartial in arriving at that conclusion. Uh, but I want I want I want so I want to ask you about the about the trial and about the evidence and the witnesses. Um, there's been a big d- debate about about should there be witnesses uh, at this point or additional documents at this point. And the de- right, the, no. the Democrats are arguing that look, the president has obstructed, the president has has obfuscated, the president has avoided uh, uh, and they think extra legally or illegally that the president has denied the House of Representatives the documents. And so they're asking, they're saying it is not too late that at any trial, even making an analogy to criminal trials, that trials do have 
have witnesses and do take in additional information. The Republicans tend to be saying, look, you've brought us an incomplete case. You're, you, 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 you're, you're, you should be arguing the case that as it was completed in the House. So, Professor, who is right on this? Should, Amer- uh, should the American people be looking for new evidence and new witnesses at this stage of the trial? Or is that, um, is that a ridiculous uh, expectation on the part of Democrats? No, the polls show that a majority of Americans would like to have a trial, which means actual evidence. Now, at the time of the Clinton impeachment, the Senate did not allow live witnesses. They allowed uh, Clinton to present a deposition of Monica Lewinsky and Verdon Jordan and uh, Sidney Blumenthal. But that was it. What's going to happen is this. One possibility could be that McConnell could, file, could, could take a vote on a motion to dismiss that uh, we've heard the charges, they're not sufficient. He's not going to do that. He is much more likely to take a vote on should we have additional evidence. That's going to be the crucial thing. Now, it takes, either way, it takes a majority, which means unless you have 51 senators saying, yes, we should take additional evidence, uh, the matter ends there. And the senators will take a vote on impeachment. Assuming that that all Democrats will vote in favor of taking additional evidence, the question is, will four Republicans vote? Again, it is all political in the partisan sense. This is not what the framers contemplated with our 18th century Constitution because they didn't contemplate political party. I want I want to ask you professor about that vote. Okay, uh, if let's say there is a vote for new uh, d- to allow additional documents and or witnesses and let's say right. that, let's say that one of those votes is 50-50. No, Does it takes, a, it takes a majority. So so you're saying that the the chief justice acting as a presiding he does not get a vote. He does he not does get not to have a vote. He See, can't. This is not like the ordinary procedure where the vice president presides and can vote to break a tie. No, it's going to take 51 votes okay, under now, the rules of the Senate, uh, okay. applicable to sitting as a body in impeachment. It takes a majority vote on any vote, and the vice president isn't there to break a tie. Okay, thank you for settling that. Now, I want to ask you one other question leading up to this uh, trial, okay, because uh, the president— in my mind, again, Kevin and I were debating about this. And again, I, I, I really believe that I'm an American first and a, and a Democrat second. And I try to be fair about these things. I, 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 the best evidence that I've been able to gather is that this president, President Trump, has has exercised the most uh, sweeping uh, view of presidential uh, executive privilege, where he he basically just waved a hand, just thumbed his nose at Congress, even if the majority of them were Democrats. The fact is, that's the United States Congress. That's the Judiciary Committee. He ignored subpoenas. He said, I am not going to participate. I'm not going to cooperate. My administration will not cooperate. Uh, does the president have the statutory authority? Do, 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 you know, what is the precedent on this? Uh, Can the president some, simply say... I answer a question. You ask... Can the president do it? My answer is, who's going to stop him? See, this is what makes impeachment so difficult for the public to understand. The courts 
are not involved. So one of the counts of impeachment is that the president has obstructed the inquiry. And again, that's going to take two-thirds vote. So, see, the, the questions can't really be answered or even predicted because the courts are not involved. I understand. I understand. It is entirely a political process. But, and Everything th- is up to the Senate. But this is, and this so is, what this- is fair is what the Senate, by majority vote, decides is fair. But this is what Same I was trying in the House. This is what I was trying to argue with Kevin, my my more right leaning uh, cohort here is that real patriots in that Senate, if you're a Democrat or a Republican, you cannot sit idly by, unless you're a monarch, I don't know what you call it, a, a monarchist, unless you're a monarchist, unless you want authoritarian government, you cannot sit idly by and, and genuflect for a president who is usurping congressional uh, privileges and congressional rights. You are, you are basically ceding your, your uh, checks and balances, your right to, to have these things, because if, if well, Trump gets the, away with it, future presidents will claim the same authority. Well, there's another point, though, that I made about subpoenas. The only t- first place, the only way you can enforce it is if the Department of Justice, controlled by Attorney General Barr, would bring a proceeding which it won't. Uh, The courts basically do not get involved in disputes between Congress and the president where rights of third parties are not involved. The courts say, let them work it out as equals. Now, the subpoena to Nixon was by a federal court in connection with a criminal proceeding. Now, that the courts will enforce, but they would not have enforced any of the House subpoenas, totally apart from the fact that the Department of Justice would never bring the proceeding. What the public has to understand is that this is completely political in the partisan sense as well as the constitutional sense. It's all going to be political theater. Both parties are going to make decisions in terms of what they think will be to their political advantage. In other words, when you say that, Professor, I take that to mean that, I, you know, I've, on this program I've said many times that citizen is the highest office in the land. And Absolutely. When you, so when you say that, that says to me that the average citizen has a role in this. But that, that the poli- when you say political, you're not saying that in a way to taint it. You're not saying it in a way to criticize it. You're saying that it's in the political realm. and in the, Now in the partisan political realm. And the only way that the people can be heard is through elections. And one of the things that's significant about the Trump impeachment, unlike the Clinton impeachment, is that there's going to be a presidential election in November. And that's probably. And you can be assured that everything that is happening now is going to be an issue in the election. Professor. I did nothing wrong, and this was a witch hunt. The Democrats will say, you abuse the power that the Constitution gives you. You put foreign policy at risk to try to hurt Joe Biden. And the Republican Senate did a whitewash. They did not consider it fairly. It's all about politics. And therefore, voters, you should vote for the Democratic candidate, whoever that is. 
and you should vote for Democratic candidates for the House and the Senate. Professor, you you've Professor Sedler, over, you've, you've per- simply move into the political arena. Yeah, you've perfectly crystallized. I think you've perfectly crystallized the issue and how it's going to uh, play out going forward at the election. Kevin's so, been. So my question is, would a censure have been more valuable to the uh, process? One wasn't going to happen. And the answer is no. That kind of issue arose in the time of the Clinton impeachment. Uh, There's going to be a way out because the Republicans knew that they wouldn't get two-thirds vote in the Senate. One con was 45 guilt, 55 acquit. The other, the obstruction was 50-50. But that was sort of a face-saving way. In any event, no, it's not going to happen. There are just too many Republicans who will not cross the president. I I had one more question. The Republican Party is now the party of... uh, President Trump, a Republicans who cross him risk an opponent in the Republican primary. That's why this issue is so different, difficult for the five or six Republican senators who will be in competitive races in 2020. Professor, one more question real quick uh, for me is that uh, can you give me a, a report card on Schiff and his presentation over the last couple of days of what you've caught of it? I haven't paid a lot of attention to it. Okay. I, I just Because I think this is all political theater. It's not going to persuade anybody. Uh, what you have to look at it, and I'd have to analyze it a bit more carefully, so I will do a number of things, is how is it playing out politically? Who is going to win the political battle that revolves around the Trump impeachment. Well, That's yes. the issue, and your listeners should pay attention to the politics and ignore all the talk on the 24-7 cable and the social media. Is this or is this not an impeachable offense? Doesn't matter. I mean, it is. It's instructive, I think. Don't you think from a from an educational standpoint? I mean, these are... Uh, of course, it's historical, and these are very interesting arguments being played uh, back and forth uh, about our Constitution, about our democracy itself, and the powers and, of the presidency. And what I want to emphasize, and again, it's so important to understand that we live under an 18th century Constitution that wasn't supposed to have political parties, instead of which we superimpose upon this a highly partisan two-party political system. That's what everybody needs to understand. It's all about politics. Well, that's the system that we have. Do you think it's possible that uh, these folks can rise above party and put country first? No. Don't expect. You will find some senators, uh, such as uh, Mitt Romney uh, and Lisa Murkowski, uh, possibly Lamar Alexander, who is leaving the Senate, uh, maybe some others who will at least at least willing to buck the party on the issue of taking evidence. Then you have someone like Susan Collins, who is the uh, most endangered Republican. She is a Republican in an essentially blue state. Uh, then uh, you have Cory Gardner in uh, Colorado. There's Ernst in um Iowa, McSally in Arizona, among others. They're the ones 
that you may want to watch, and they have to make a political judgment. So yeah, Do they're, they cross they're the-, the president and and risk a primary challenge. Or do they support the president and have their opponent making that an issue in the election? They're, they're the ones that might possibly vote for additional documents to, to make the trial more of a real trial, right? To make Possibly. It- That's the next step uh, that uh, your listeners will want to watch. Yeah. I really appreciate you. You have been just phenomenal. Really appreciate the insight. Uh, can't thank you enough for, for joining us great. on the program great today. Great talking to you. And uh, call back. We'll be around we'll, for a while. We'll do. We'll bug you again. Thanks, Professor Take Sedler. Care. Thank you. Bye. That's uh, Professor Robert Sedler from Wayne State University. You can see why they call him a distinguished professor of law at Wayne State University. We'll take a break, and when we come back, we'll be talking to Michigan uh, spokesperson for the Bloomberg campaign, which is, seems to be taken off here in Michigan. I'll tell you what happened. Good day, Morty. I got the Szechuan sauce. We're at C2E2 with the legendary Chris Claremont. Greetings, my fellow geeks. My name is Jordan Trevilian, and this is Get It to the Geeks. We are here with David Yost, the original Blue Power Ranger. Nobody right. promised you when you bought the thing on PS4 that you could play it on Switch. Well, your, your excuse is garbage. I'm going to pull out my crossbow. All right, sweet chainmail armor. Let's see what you got. Hey, how are you? I'm Gerald Valley, and I want to invite you to listen, watch, share my new show, The Drop-In. It is going to cover skate, music, culture, actually all sports. I have some great guests lined up, and it's to inspire and motivate people to make the most of this life we have. Check out the inspiration, the stoke, and the life of The Drop-In with Gerald Valley. And we're back with The Verge Show. Uh, It's been great, I think, so far. And uh, we're going to keep it up. Lots going on in Michigan politically. Things are heating up as uh, primary day approaches. And uh, the campaign is heating up. And part of that is Michael Bloomberg hitting Michigan in a big way. Uh, He was in the state, and he's on the airwaves. And with us on the phone is Charlie Charlie Norton, communications director for uh, Michigan for Bloomberg. Are you there, Charlie? (laughs) Charlie's not there. Okay. Well, we're trying to get Charlie Norton, communications director for Michigan for Bloomberg. Uh, You couldn't help but notice that Michigan is uh, is in play because uh, the uh, the ads are are flying and uh, Bloomberg is all over the airwaves. Now I'm told Charlie is there. Charlie Norton, communications director for Michigan for Bloomberg. Are you with us? Yes, I am. How are you? Now, see, I'm not surprised because I've seen your picture, but our our listeners might be surprised. They might have been uh, looking for a deeper voice, expecting a deeper voice there. <laughs> I'm good. How are you, yeah. Charlie? I am doing well. But, yes, there are not a lot of female Charlies out there, um, but very pleased to be joining you today. We appreciate your coming on The Verge Show. Uh, to talk about the Democratic primary, which is coming up in Michigan. Now, I signed up for my primary ballot. Uh, now we have no reason absentee. Uh, it is, I bet you know the date, March 22nd? Primary is March 10th. Oh, March 10th. Okay. Mm-hmm. See, well, I'll get my ballot. Um, it's right yeah. after Super Tuesday. All right. That's right. 
So, uh, Charlie, I know you're in charge of Michigan, but before we talk about Michigan, uh, of course, people are looking to Iowa, to, to, of course, New Hampshire, first in the nation. I've always felt, being from Michigan, and you're from Michigan, aren't you, Charlie? Yes, I am. Yeah, so, I mean, I've always felt like, you know, why are these podunk states like New Hampshire uh, and Iowa with these tiny populations and not even necessarily blue blue states. Why are they leading the charge? And then Michigan is further back. Now, lately in my adult life, Michigan seems to be more in play. Uh, but a lot of elections, it seemed like Michigan was an afterthought. Uh, but Michigan is coming up. Uh, I got to ask you, uh, Mike Bloomberg has stayed out of those. He's written off, essentially, I guess, those early primaries. Uh, what does that do for his chances in the long run to truly be competitive? How can he be competitive and write off those, you know, heretofore seen as, you know, the, the very important early key states? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, well, actually, Mike Bloomberg, you know, obviously a very unique, qualified leader in a lot of different respects. But in regards to the primary calendar, you know, obviously the party has determined that that is the calendar. Um, but last week, Mike actually had an op-ed on CNN.com in which he opined that maybe after this cycle, it is worth revisiting that. You know, like you mentioned, Iowa, New Hampshire, obvious core parts of our country and the fabric of what makes our country great, but not necessarily reflective of the Democratic Party or the country at large. They're the tail so, wagging the know, dog. It's the tail wagging the dog. I mean, God love them. They're, I'm sure, wonderful. They're great people. I mean, I remember meeting some at the uh, at the convention from Iowa. Wonderful people. But uh, it's the tail wagging the dog. They should not be determining who our nominee is. Now, by the way, speaking of Michael Bloomberg, who I have great respect for, and I have over the years uh, said many nice things, of course, about him uh, publicly and privately, but on my Facebook. And I sometimes got some blowback um, from some far, far left talking about this or that. And I always I always argued with him because uh, I said, here's a guy that puts his money where his mouth is. Here's a guy that has run a city, one of the most difficult cities in the world to run and done it pretty damn well. Uh, and so, you know, you better come with your A game. In my book, I mean, I'm, I'm, of course, I'm a recovering mayor. But I mean, if you're going to attack a mayor, you better bring your A game because this guy has worked his butt off and done a phenomenal job as mayor of New York. However, though, Charlie, let me in fairness say that New York Times recently endorsed Senators Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar, a dual endorsement. And this is uh, this is Mayor Bloomberg's hometown paper, right? Uh, how could this happen? Sure. I mean, as you know, mayors, like you said, are incredibly close to the communities that they represent. They're used to be holding, being held accountable. And Mike Bloomberg is that leader who is ready to unite the country and rebuild the country at a time that we're more divided than ever. You know, he has never been an ideologue, never taken campaign contributions, and really is an independent thinker who puts progress over partisanship and isn't beholden to the special interests. You know, like, he, like you said, he was a three-term mayor of the most diverse city in the country, a city of more than 8 million people, and took charge of the city after 9-11, helping rebuild lower Manhattan, bringing back jobs, creating more affordable housing options, improving education, you know, really enhancing the quality of life in the city. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, Mike is focused on the critical issues like climate, like gun safety, and is making it a top priority to defeat Donald Trump in November. Oh, That's the, the priority I mean, at the end of the day. I mean, not only, look, he's a, he's a, he's a technocrat who can, uh, you know, get in there and, and do it and fix it. 
uh, and he's focused on solutions. Okay, he's nobody would call Mike Bloomberg an ideologue, but the things he believes in, like the climate change and the need to address it, um, like gun safety and the need to do make real reform. Uh, he goes for it. I mean, you got to give the guy credit. He tackles these tough issues. And in New York, I happen to know he tackled tough issues. Even you know, even the issue of closing down a street and making it pedestrian only to to improve uh, safety and so on. Tough decisions, neighborhood-based decisions. Uh, he's taken the flack for that as a mayor, as mayors do. Uh, but. Uh, again, you know, the New York Times, are they just off base? I mean, here, this is his hometown paper. If anybody should and should appreciate and know the real Mike Bloomberg, it should be the New York Times. Are they just out of sync, out of whack, ill-informed? Well, I think at the end of the day, you know, like you said, Mike Bloomberg has taken on those countries, our country's toughest fights and won. He's a problem solver and a doer, not a talker. On gun safety, he took on the NRA and Donald Trump on gun violence. And one, stronger gun laws in states across this country. On climate, he's taken on the coal industry and Donald Trump, who's a climate denier, and led efforts to close more than half of the nation's coal-fired power plants and keep up America's commitments to the Paris Agreement. On health, he's taken on big tobacco, you know, leading the charge to cut teen smoking and fighting Trump on the dangers of e-cigarettes to protect our kids. You know, so... You know, people can obviously make whatever calls they want in regards to endorsements and look to those to help inform their decision in this primary calendar. But I think at the end of the day, everyone across this country, Democrats especially, know that we cannot afford four more years of of Donald Trump as president. If he wins another term in office, we could never recover from that damage. Mike is all in on defeating Trump because obviously the latest polls, including right here in Michigan, shows that some people in the field are sure or aren't sure rather to win the key battleground states like Michigan that are going to end up determining this election. The stakes are simply too high to risk a Trump victory. And that's why we're investing in states like Michigan and states like Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, while the rest of the field has spent the last year in Iowa, New Hampshire. Charlie, so you, you sure. uh, this is Kevin, the, uh, the other half, mm-hmm. the, the conservative half of this program. I just wanted to ask you, why would you not capitalize? The one issue you didn't bring up was the economy, which is something mm-hmm. that Trump is claiming is uh, through the roof. But Mayor Bloomberg could take him to school. He's got $53 billion. He could take him to school on the economy. And you're not even mentioning that as a, as a potential issue that will maintain uh, for those of us who are concerned about our 401ks and things of this nature – what is he going to when is he going to capitalize on that issue? Absolutely. I mean, we are already talking about the economy. I have not yet mentioned it, but yes, it is an issue that will be core to this campaign. Mike is a proven jobs creator who is committed to building an opportunity-driven economy that works for everyone. And the you know, beauty, as mayor of New York, the, mm-hmm. the the beauty of the mayor too is that he comes from the media, so we're not going to hear any more media bashing from Fake the president. News. Fake news. The constant sort of, you know, whipping people into a frenzy. In fact, one of his uh, biggest weaknesses, I'm told, is his debate ability. And that he's trying to stay out of the limelight a little bit and let his commercials talk for him. Is that a fair criticism of him? No, I would disagree. I think Mike would welcome a debate. Um, You know, obviously the DNC has set out their rules in terms of qualifying for that debate schedule. But we welcome the opportunity to debate. 
So if those rules should change, we would absolutely welcome Mike being on that stage. Great. So, um, Charlie, you know, I, so Charlie, mm-hmm. John, John Nichols, writing in The Nation on February 3rd of this year, in an article entitled The Loser President, was talking about how the Electoral College helps Donald Trump. And he says, and I quote, the whole point of any electoral college strategy for the Democrats has to be exciting the base sufficiently to tip the balance in closely divided states. In his Democracy Now! interview, Michael Moore argued that in light of their advantages among women, people of color and young voters, Democrats need to make sure we don't give them another Hillary Clinton to vote for. End quote. Can Michael Bloomberg provide sufficient excitement to motivate the base Democratic voters in numbers large enough in key swing states like Michigan to beat Donald Trump? Absolutely. You know, like I mentioned before, Mike Bloomberg is everything that Donald Trump is not. He is facts over fiction. He's a doer, not a talker, and has a calm leadership style over hysteria and the chaos that is D.C. these days. You know, Mike grew up a middle-class kid and built a self-made, you know, successful global company, earning everything through his own hard work. And I don't have to tell you guys that determination, that grit, that hard work is something that rings true for Michiganders. You know, Trump, meanwhile, inherited millions and has declared multiple bankruptcies. So I question his success in business. In regards to Mike's career, you know, he has built that career based on calm, steady leadership, following the data, bringing people together, building really incredible, talented teams, and putting progress first, whereas Trump is reckless, ignores science, he wants to divide people for his own gain. And I think, to your point earlier, Mayor, you know, Mike is a true philanthropist with a history of giving generously to solve the world's most urgent problems. Well, come on, look Whether at the, that look. is. But look Education. at the Trump Foundation. Look at the look at the, look at the Trump. School of Business. I can't even say it with a straight face. <laughs> the Trump Foundation. Uh, his kids right. had to be had to be forced to go to philanthropy school to learn how to be philanthropic. Uh, yeah, I, look, uh, Bloomberg. It's it's incredible. The guy walks the walk. Anybody that has been around Michael Bloomberg knows he surrounds himself with the best and the brightest. When Trump says, "I got the best people," it's a joke. Uh, anybody that's been around the Bloomberg uh, team knows he really does get the best and the brightest, and he allows them to work, and he gives them autonomy, and he and he actually listens. He actually can listen to a different point of view and learn and be convinced based on facts. Yes, all these things are going to be phenomenal, and his and his ability to self fund uh, does matter because of uh, Trump's uh, money and and of course the other things that Trump's willing to put into play. Um, but again, in terms of the Midwestern, in terms of the Electoral College map and these key states that we come back to, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, uh, et cetera. Uh, of course, Florida will be made play. Arizona. Um, I think he plays well in the middle America. I really do. I, I think of all the Democratic nominees. Uh, my question is, who does he land on for a vice presidential candidate? Yeah, can't you settle that, Charlie? Just give us the scoop, Charlie. <laughs> Right here. You I just... wish I could. I wish I could give some inside information there. But, you know, like mentioned before, you know, at the end of the day, Mike's priority is defeating Donald Trump. And we are committed to doing everything that we can to make sure that that happens. Is he willing Whether to get dirty or not? Is he willing to get dirty down in the mud with Donald Trump in a debate stage? <laughs> I said before, you know, he welcomes that opportunity. And I think that you saw, you know, over the past week, I think that Mike is absolutely under Donald Trump's skin 
I don't know if you've checked out his Twitter yes. feed this past week, but he's talking about him daily. Well, what is what Steve is his Bannon nickname? Is talking about him. I haven't Charlie. I, I haven't heard. I haven't heard Trump's nickname for Bloomberg. Does he have a nickname for him yet? You probably can't say <laughs> the it. media. I don't know. What is he? Because he has a nickname for everybody, right? Uh, fake I know. News? I know. I don't I mean, know. I, I haven't heard one yet. Uh, you know, it'll be some bullcrap uh, that he'll come up with, and uh, th- this is what we have: the the infantile campaign style. Uh, I would, yeah. There's a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. Michael Bloomberg is one that I would love to see on a stage against because, uh, against Trump. You would see the only other thing we would ask of of Mayor Bloomberg is that he not hire Rudy Giuliani away from <laughs> Donald Trump. If he could not do that, that would be great. Sure. Well, I mean, that's an interesting point in regard to you know how well Mike Bloomberg knows how Trump operates. You know, he was a big developer while Mike was mayor, right? So he knows his so vulnerabilities. The best is yet to come, in other and, words. Yeah. I know. I, yeah. And, you know, to your point or question earlier regarding how we'll communicate in the Midwest and how we'll do in states like Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, you know, just yesterday, Mike was outlining his bold policy plan on infrastructure in a speech before the U.S. Conference of Mayors in D.C. I don't have to tell you guys that Michigan infrastructure is failing people all across the state and costing people money out of their pocketbooks. You know, our roads are in poor condition costing the average motorist over $600 a year in extra costs. Our water systems across the state have higher lead levels. Um, You know, PFAS in our drinking water, large state or swaths of the state, including northern Michigan, the Upper Peninsula, lack broadband coverage. And Donald Trump wants to have infrastructure week, it seems, every other week, right? But he's not putting the safety and economic growth and the quality of life here in Michigan on a better footing. Well, Charlie, right? Whereas, it's, it's incredible. I remember being at the U.S. Conference of Mayors when Pence came and said, oh, we're going to do infrastructure. And all the mayors, mm-hmm. all of us clapped, of course. Even I had to clap at that. Of course, we'd love infrastructure. They've done nothing, no thing, no thing have they put forward in any serious way. And and in part because Trump said, well, if you move to impeach me, I mean, of course, he shouldn't have waited that long. He should have already been moving on infrastructure. There's no excuse for it. Uh, there's no vision, no real plan. He was obsessed with his stinking wall. So whatever he got done or didn't get done with the wall, there was no real infrastructure plan. Meanwhile, the bridges got uh, more bridges collapsed, more roads. Uh, See, I put that on Governor Snyder. I don't put that on a presidential. No, it goes on a president because the amount of money that's needed, it's We never billions, get the money back we give to the federal government. We never get it back. He, well, look, Snyder did what he could, and I ran against the guy. Snyder did what he could with the limited money he had, uh, and people weren't in the mood to vote for a tax increase for roads in Michigan. You need a federal initiative. You, you need a federal, like what uh, uh, Mayor Bloomberg is talking about, uh, infrastructure has to be a federal priority, and— uh, you know, it, it has not been. So he, he squandered that. I think he'd be in a much better much better position. If you took every time he said the word wall and put in road, bridge, water, if Trump had really been out there working, because that's what America needs and wants. And he could have put a lot of people back to work with that, too. So I wish you the best, Charlie. I really appreciate your coming on. Uh, obviously, uh, Michael Bloomberg is hitting Michigan hard. 
Uh, and uh, he's in all, one of your he's one of your top candidates for maybe uh, to endorse. He, right? he is among my top. He is among my favorites. No question about that. I've always had great respect for the man. Uh, and full disclosure, you know, we got a grant from the Bloomberg Foundation in Lansing, uh, which was for the uh, to set up the Economic Empowerment Center. A lot of folks have learned about how to handle their home economics and their mortgage and all that uh, through that program, uh, giving people a ladder up. So uh, I've seen firsthand. Yes, uh, the, this this guy's commitment. Um, so we could certainly, uh, he would certainly be head and shoulders above what we have now. So maybe we'll talk to you again, Charlie. Good luck to you and, and to Mayor Bloomberg in Michigan and across the country. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on and look forward to talking again soon. Thanks so much. Thanks, Charlie. Take right. care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. We just got a couple of minutes left. So I remember that, um, them talking about infrastructure and, uh, it was just talk. We never, we never got anywhere. Now Bloomberg is going to come and take that away from him. I guess. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting year. Uh, speaking of an inter- interesting year, uh, in, in the two minutes we have left, uh, it's we're coming up on the 75th remembrance of the Auschwitz, um, uh, sort of liberation of the Auschwitz camp, one of the worst concentration camps yeah. uh, uh, of the Holocaust of World War II. There's a woman in West Bloomfield, Ruth Weber, who will be featured this weekend on CBS This Morning. Uh, we had hoped to talk to her this morning, and she just was uh, emotionally, because she's flying over there to be at the camp, which I can't even begin to understand how you could ever go back to that place. Yeah. Uh, you've been to one. Uh, my wife and I were in Dachau when we were in Germany a couple years ago. How did that uh, impact you? It, it was. It's very disturbing. It's very moving. And yet I say to every uh, every person listening, you know, if you get the chance, if you're in that area— um, and, and you can go to a concentration camp that, is, that has been preserved. Um, it's, I think, very important to do. Uh, it is, if you're, if you're not unsettled, if you're not disturbed, you know, then you're not very much uh, human. But uh, it's, it's something that happened in this country. Six million, over six million Jews lost, lost their lives. Uh, and, uh, of course, there's still a lot of death and destruction out there. We need to see what human beings are capable of so that we make sure it never happens again. we got a great Holocaust museum over here just a couple miles away, and they're doing something on Adolf Eichmann that starts this weekend. So anyone, it's the last time you can see it in America. So if you get a chance, yeah, run over Holocaust there. Holocaust Museum, definitely. Well, thank you so much for being with us uh, for another episode uh, of the Verge Bernero Show. And we will look forward to seeing you next Thursday where we'll have another interesting lineup.